Over the last seven years, I have tried every kind of marketing you can possibly imagine for my business. And I have determined over that time that direct mail has been by far the most profitable marketing channel I have ever tried. And I've spent over a million dollars just testing it out figuring out what works and figuring out what doesn't. And through that time, I've been able to generate over 100 deals per year in my business using direct mail. And now I've created a very small but very powerful mini course on how I utilize direct mail in my business. It explains everything I do from A to Z, and I've made this available to you absolutely free. That's right, no charge, no obligations, just go to my website, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail to find out how you can implement my system in your business and start generating more leads through direct mail. Go check it out. It's absolutely free. I can't wait for you to try it. So doing JV equity stuff doesn't isn't really the best fit for like smaller you know real estate investors. But yeah. if I can put together a five to nine dollar equity check, that works really well for us too. Yeah, you're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me on the show today. I appreciate it. Uh, we are here for you. And if you're getting anything out of this, if you're enjoying the podcast, please do me a favor. Go and subscribe right now. Don't even wait for this interview. Go and subscribe. It means so much to me. It helps me get found. It just, it means everything. And it's so easy to do. It literally takes seconds. Just go click on that thing, subscribe, follow, whatever it's called on the device or the uh, service that you're listening to it on. And I would be so appreciative. I have a great, great guest for you today. Today, uh, his name is Jake Clopton. He is um, just an incredibly smart guy, and we had a really great conversation about the state of the market, uh, what he thinks is happening, and why. And also, very specifically and very in-depth conversation about interest rates. Uh, what's going on with those, what he sees happening and why uh, just just a really, really great, timely, timely conversation about what's going on in the market. I know that a lot of you are afraid a little bit uh, and some of you are afraid a lot of what's happening. And uh, and Jake came in and gave some real clear um uh, forward-looking advice and, well, not necessarily advice. He gave some really good, clear indications of what he thinks is going to happen and, and why, and with some very um, uh, sound reasoning and data behind it. So it was just a really, really good conversation, like I said, and it's very timely because everyone's a little bit nervous about the market and what's going on. So you guys can't afford to miss this one. Like Literally, I say that sometimes, and I guess you can afford to. This one you really can't afford to because you need to know what's going on in the market so you know how to react appropriately, and Jake brought the goods today. So without any further ado, guys, I give you Jake Clopton. All right, Jake. Thanks for being here on the show, man. I appreciate your time and I appreciate you coming to talk to me. Absolutely. Fair me on. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, love having folks like yourself on who have a depth of knowledge, not only in real estate, but trends, um, interest rates, what's happening. And uh, we, I shared with you before we hopped on here live that I, I just spent some time with a lot of investors um, last week. And the by far, the, the number one topic was what's going on with interest rates, what's going on in the market, what are, the, what are we seeing, what can we expect to see, how do we react to it? And these were high-level uh, men and women, they weren't beginners who were just like thinking the sky's falling. Um, these were these were um, very sophisticated investors, but there, it actually we had a session that went late into the night where it was just people trying to kind of sort through this, and right. and so we'll, we'll get into that. But um, first of all, let's just give folks a little sense of who you are, your background, and just briefly uh, tell people how you got into the the real estate world. Uh, sure. Yeah. So this brings us all the way back to like the 2000, early 2000s era, right? So before I got into real estate, I traded futures um, here in Chicago. Uh, I'm in Chicago. Um, oh, that's where and, I was last week, actually. That's where I was meeting up with folks oh, in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. It's nice weather here now, man. It's a good time to visit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I moved here to trade futures. Chicago's the trading capital of the world. Um, and I used to trade uh, like interbank hedging product futures. So like, LIBOR, Fed funds, treasury, stuff like that. Um, you know, three recessions ago now, the, you know, the financial crisis, right, in 2008, that happened. And, you know, rates went to zero and all the markets dried up and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, it was kind of hard to make money trading futures at the time, right, because it didn't really exist. Um, so, you know, my my idea was because of the financial crisis, you know, and I was like, okay, well, where's the supply demand imbalance? And, and that was really finding capital to do deals, right? Yeah. And so I didn't really have a background in, you know, banking per se. I mean, I did because of like futures and everything, but uh, my idea was to, you know, make transaction costs, you know, and finding people capital, uh, so basically being a broker. And I really just started making phone calls to banks and lenders and XYZ, anybody I could anybody I could find. And then, you know, if I found somebody that was able to win money, I'd put it out there and people would just come to the door because at the time it's really hard. <laughs> um, so that was about, you know, almost 15 years ago now. Um, yeah. And, you know, now we've got a real company, right? It, it evolved quickly over time. Um, and I, I quickly fell into the real estate side of it, right? Um, and now, you know, we own a small portfolio, multifamily personally. Um, and then also, you know, our my main company is you know the the debt brokerage and JV equity brokerage, but then we also have another ancillary company that does nothing but commercial property insurance. So um, we really, you know, as far as me personally, I'm probably involved in every aspect of real estate as far as you could get. Yeah. Um, you know, other than lending my own money myself, which I've done in the past, but I don't care to do that again. So. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. let me get this straight because I didn't. This is something I guess I I wasn't totally aware. And maybe I'm misunderstanding you. Um, do you help people raise money then for deals, for real estate transactions, or for funds? Or like, are so, you involved in that? Right. So the way that I look at a, our company as an overall is a liquidity provider okay. for owners and operators of real estate, right? And so whether that's arranging loans, which we do, we I do straightforward mortgages just for commercial property, mm -hmm. um, bridge loans, you know, mez, pref, you know, kind of. And then we, you know, you know the, the areas that, you know, I personally find really interesting is like more, more like the creative capital stack stuff. Um, like, for instance, I, I just financed a, um, an art gallery in uh, St. Louis. And 
that I put that together through like tax credits and brownfield and CDFI funds and all kinds of stuff. Right. Okay. Um, so, you know, some of that stuff is really interesting, but you know, we do a lot more of the straightforward stuff. Um, but then, you know, we also, uh, our, our typical guys are like small to middle market, uh, real estate operators, but then we, you know, we also get very much so involved in like the higher or like institutional borrowers by helping them arrange joint venture equity. Okay. Right? So like some joint JV equity stuff doesn't, isn't really the best fit for like smaller, you know, real estate investors. But yeah. if I can put together a five to $10 million equity check that works really well for us. Yeah. Got it. I got it. That's cool. Very cool, actually. Um, because I think, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I actually started a, uh, a fund, uh, to, to, um, finance flick, fix and flip investors, like single family, um, investors, but, oh, okay. um, I always tell people when I started real estate back in 2008 is when I got into the the real estate game. And uh, back then, uh, finding money was a big deal, right? And fast forward to 2022, finding money is a big deal. Like everyone's still trying to find money for their deals, right? And and sometimes when you raise some money, it's like, you know, it's like I if you say to yourself, I can't run a mile, I'm not in shape enough, I just can't even, I cannot even do it, right? And then you run, you get to where you can run a mile, you go, I think I can run five miles, right? So you raise money, it's like I raised a million dollars, you feel like, oh my God, that's great. And your business grows and you're like, I need more. So people always seems like they need more as they grow and and, it, and the way to raise, you know, one million is different than raising maybe 10 million or 20 million. So it gets to be a little bit more sophisticated, a little more complicated. Um, so anyways, I, I think that's awesome because that's something that really never goes away. I don't think it ever goes yeah, away. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're right. It is that, you know, as you kind of scale and then the different types of deals you're doing, um, and, I mean, not all money, but the saying all money is green, like it's, it's not. There, there is different money, right? Yeah. And I mean, just equity alone, there's a lot of different ways to raise equity. And then there's also a lot of ways to get tripped up raising equity because there's a whole real estate securities aspect of it yeah. that, you know, you totally. need to watch out for. So yeah, I mean, every deal is different and raising money for every deal is different. And that's really what we do. Right. And then around the main, you know, finance company, we've kind of built ancillary services, um, you know, insurance, and we're looking at doing like fractured CFO stuff and stuff like that. Okay. Oh, really? Fractured CFO stuff. That's interesting. Okay, cool. Because I think that's another thing too. I mean, we're getting a little bit off off subject, but I I don't care because I think it's interesting. And I know that people in my audience care about this stuff. Um, the, the CFO thing, here's what I have seen over the years, and I've been victim of this too. I actually have a fractured CFO right now, um, is that they start, they start growing a business and the finance part of it grows beyond their comfort level, but they just keep doing it because they don't know what else to do. And they don't, you know, they're trying to find deals and they're trying to finance deals and they're trying to get things renovated. And they have all these aspects that they're trying to cover and they sort of ignore the, the, the CFO part of it. And what I'm seeing more and more is these companies that are growing and becoming one, two, three, four, five million dollar companies are realizing I need a CFO, but maybe not a full-time CFO. Maybe I don't need somebody, you know, working right. 40 hours a week. I need somebody working 15 hours a week. And so that's, I always think that that fractured CFO is, is probably underutilized in, in my, in our industry at, at the level of like single family, small multifamily, it's underutilized, but it's, it's definitely needed. So that's a cool, cool service. Yeah, I, I think, and in, in this brings up another aspect, right? Is that you know, as you start off small and then you start to scale, you actually, you know, depending on how you're doing things, you actually hit kind of a glass ceiling mm-hmm. because as as you scale and as you get bigger, your ability to actually continue to look for more deals 
gets taken away from just having to service the stuff you've already got going on. For instance, totally. you know, if this is just one aspect of it. You got a lot of investors. Well, you got to do reporting for all those investors. You know, let's say you do one deal and, you know, maybe you've got 50 investors in this one deal and you've got to service them, you know, yeah. that that's a pretty big ask. Yep. And so like, you know, and, and then just all the other stuff that comes along with it. So being able to lay some of that stuff off, but also keeping it cost effective yeah. is what is really what allows you to scale. And then, you know, in the same respect, you know, the different types of equity, you know, are going to help you scale faster versus, you know, so bringing in one joint venture partner versus, you know, a hundred smaller guys that yeah. maybe you were doing on smaller deals. So yeah, and there is a big difference and a lot of it's time consumption. And I see this happen at every level, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I work with some, you know, real estate companies that have like three quarters of a billion dollars in their assets and they have the exact same problem. Yeah. They're like, I need more time to go find deals to do myself and to not worry about all this other stuff. Yeah. So even there's there's always just different inflection points where it's always going to continue to happen um, and just take time away from you finding deals. You know what I mean? Totally. And I think, honestly, this is a, a bigger problem in that people start a company, whether they start real, real small, like one single family house, or even if they're starting on a, on a little bit bigger stage, when you start you tend to be everything. And then the, the skill that, that we don't really get taught, we certainly don't get taught in school and, and there's no, there's not a lot of guidelines out there for us, is when do you peel off responsibilities in your business? When is it appropriate, right? And I think people tend to wait usually too long to peel off most response. Like by the time they hire a salesperson, they probably should have already had that person in place, right? And certainly right. by the time, like for me, bookkeeping, it's not CFO necessarily work, but... I held on to bookkeeping too long. I'm not a detail guy. I'm not a finance or numbers person. Like I'm, I have no business doing books for even like a lemonade stand at the end of a driveway. Like I should not be doing their books, but I was doing my own books well into a you know six and seven figure business. So um, I think people just they you know, and it's not something they understand. It's like hiring a CFO if you're not a finance person. It's a little intimidating, you know, because you don't know how to properly interview it you don't know the quite like you don't know so it, it's a little bit of a black box so i think it's a sometimes a little bit easier of a lift if you're hiring someone who's fractional and it's not as big a commitment and i don't know i think there's something about that that makes total sense and i think people do it too late so if you're yeah, listening to this know, one, a lot of us out there don't really like to have full-time employees that we have to yeah. service right yeah so, totally yeah, yeah. Totally. And it feels like a, it, it, it feels, I think, intuitively like a luxury hire. And it's really not necessarily, right? I mean, that's super important that you have somebody, like you said, at the very least, servicing investors. And because if they don't have a good experience, they're not coming back. They're not going to deal with you again, right? They need to know what's going on. So having someone in place to answer those questions is always a good idea. Um, right. So let's, let's talk a little bit. This is right up your alley. Um, some of these things that are happening right now that people are freaking out about a little bit. Uh, the state of the market, number one, interest rates, number two. And I, tell me your take on this. And I want to tell you what what I'm thinking and kind of some stuff I heard discussed regarding interest rates. And I don't know if it's my take, but it's it's an interesting way of looking at it. So, and I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher the numbers a little bit, but just uh, the, the the concept would be sound. Trust me. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, interest rates were. 5%, I don't know, 5 6%, whatever they were, somewhere in there, a little higher. And then over the last couple of years, they went down and they ended up in like the high twos or the mid twos. You could get it really, really great, like insanely, insanely low. And now they went kind of back up to where they were a few years ago, where we were all thought it was just fine. We had no problem with it. We were actually kind of happy with our interest rates. But people are seeing it like this massive, like, uh, 
you know, this catastrophe, the interest rates are, are at like five or five and a half or whatever they are. But I, I kind of see it as what it was over the last two years was the insane anomaly. It wasn't like just because it went down there for a minute, it doesn't mean that's like normal and anything higher than that is like we're getting killed with interest rates. What What are your thoughts on the interest rates, where they were, where they're going and what we can expect? Um. Yeah. So, right. Good questions. Um, you, you're not wrong. Rates aren't actually like index rates, right? So like the Fed funds and treasuries and all that stuff, they're not actually in that too dissimilar spot from where they were before the pandemic, right? And yeah, nobody was right about the Fed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is. Markets are covered. But I mean, the, the, the market itself is, is a little different right now. And there, I think a lot of what's going on is just uncertainty in the yep. system, right? Yep. And uncertainty creates risk and risk, you know, make, makes the people pull back and question their decisions and not move forward on things. And it widens credit spreads, stuff like that. So, you know, the, the actual Fed funds rate, it's like two and a quarter, two and a, two and a half right now, right? It was higher before. Um, and, and the treasuries really haven't gotten out of hand. A lot of what, you know, the volatility and although like the, the higher rates that a lot of people are seeing is really credit spreads. And that's, that's really a backdrop of like all this risk or you know, uncertainty and risk that's in the system. Yeah. You know, personally, my feeling is I don't think, and you know, you can go on LinkedIn and there's a lot of people that disagree with this, but I don't think we're in store for, you know, some huge recession of, you know, of whatever proportions, right. It, there, there's. The banks are, you know, are very solid. They're very liquid. There's an enormous amount of liquidity out there. Um, like, for instance, if you go into something called the overnight repo market, which I don't know, I know a lot of people don't know what that is, but it's basically where, you know, large investors and banks park money overnight that they can't invest and they have nowhere to put. There's over $2 trillion that's parked in there every night uh-huh. that doesn't make any money. Okay. Th- that's $2 trillion of money that's just parked there. That's not to, that doesn't even account for all of the money that's, you know, at record highs that's parked in people's bank, checking and savings accounts that's uninvested. That also doesn't account for the $2 trillion infrastructure bill that hasn't even been spent yet, that they're just trying to figure out how to spend. It doesn't account for a lot of stuff, right? And so when you, you like, you know, you know I, I try to look at, you know, the forest for the trees and not listen to so much just like people saying that, you know, yeah. oh my God, the market's going to collapse. I think people really have just been jawboned to death over this thing for the most part. And it's making them, you know, it's just creating a lot of uncertainty. My feeling is that when you finally get clarity on how far the Fed is going to move interest rates and, you know, like really understanding where they're going to stop, that things are going to, you know, come congeal very quickly and come back together. Credit spreads will come back in very quickly. You know, and that's what you really need for these capital markets and everything to settle down, you know, and spreads to narrow. Um, you, you know, you need you need certainty and you, you need stability. And I, I think as soon as you get guidance um, from them about that, um, you know, you it's going to come back fast. And candidly, I you know, if you really dug into what happened yesterday and, and for anybody who's listening Four weeks from now, the Fed fund, you know, the July Fed meeting just came out yesterday, just raised rates 75 base points. Um, there was actually, you know, some very like kind of dovish commentary. I mean, hawkish would mean they were going to raise rates. Dovish meaning that like, hey, they're actually kind of backing off a little bit. Okay. Um, so my feeling is that, you know, you know, we're already starting to see commodity prices and, you know, start, start to come down. Obviously, things have pulled back. And, I, and you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily because, you know, the economy is in a bad position. It's not. The labor force still 
you know, there, there's still a ton of oh, job openings for yeah. unemployed person. Yeah. Right. Um, but I, you know, I, I think that, you know, now, now that things are settling down a bit, they will back off a little bit. And then going to this next meeting that, you know, they, it's probably not another 75 bit hike, right. And probably maybe a half or a quarter. So I think we're over the initial hump of the acceleration interest rates going up and going, yep. you know, kind of seeing more, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel. Okay. So. so the, so the overall takeaway I just got from that was you don't see interest rates substantially increasing anytime soon. Like, no, and actually they can't. Um, I wrote an article in Benzinga about this in, in May, right? So yeah. one of two things will happen, right? So the Fed will either continue to raise rates until they put us into recession, right? So there's two types of rates. There's short-term interest rates, the Fed funds, and then treasuries. Treasuries are a totally different animal. Okay. And treasuries are tied to, you know, they're international product, right? So they're tied to growth and inflation expectations, all that stuff. Yep. And you can look at what happened right now. The Fed raised rates 75 bps yesterday. What happened to the 10-year? It's at 265 today. It's lower. Okay. So right. So they're pulling back on growth, and then long-term rates are tied to growth, inflation, right? So those came in. Yeah. So you know, you you've kind of got a ceiling, right? Because like, if things start to turn around, and you know, the Fed doesn't need to raise rates anymore, you know, the, that means that inflation and all this stuff has come down, and rates will pretty much stay where it is. But if they continue to raise rates and put us further into a recession long-term rates will go down anyways, right? Because the, okay. they're tied to that type of growth. And that's how you get that inverted yield curve, right? That people yep. talk about yep, yep. where short-term rates are higher than long-term rates. That's kind of where that comes from. Okay. So no, I, I I don't think long-term rates are getting out of control. They're going to get out of control. I think a lot of the downward pressure in actual coupon rates or people are seeing in the mortgage markets and, you know, CMBS and agencies and all that stuff is really going to come down once credit spreads settle and, that's happen. That happens when you get clarity from the Fed. Okay, that was going to be my next question. We don't see them going up dramatically anytime soon. They can't, like you said. But do we see them going down significantly? Is there any reason to think they'll go down significantly? I, I, I do think you know mortgage rates and all that stuff will come in. Um, mainly, not. I think the indexes, the ten-year Treasury, right? Like I said, it'll come down a little bit. It's probably going to sell somewhere in the mid twos. Um, but credit spreads are what really need to come in, right? And okay. those credit spreads are tied to the uncertainty. So as soon as you get clarity on what's going on, I think that comes in. Okay. Interest rates are really hard to predict, though, because they, they're day-to-day. Yeah. So that's based on kind of what's going on today. If some crazy stuff happens <laughs> tomorrow, I don't know. China invades Taiwan, all bets are off, right? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do, how do Historically, how do incoming presidents affect that at all? I know they don't affect it really but like is there any trend is there any re- so i know a lot of people say gas prices will get better interest rates will go down when there's a new because pre- they want to have that easy win or that win or whatever they want to have because people only look at a few things to know if if things are going well with their country right like gas rates or, or gas prices are one interest home interest rates are another is there any trend there or is it there is no way to correlate those two I, honestly i think a lot of people you know like to blame politics on stuff and i don't think there's there's almost no correlation okay. right, between who I think they like, you know, when things are going well, presidents like to, you know, take credit for yeah, it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And when they're not, they like to not take credit for <laughs> it. Blame so, the per- previous that, regime. That's yeah. Correlation. Yeah. Right, yeah. Totally. Okay. That makes total sense. What do you see? Not interest rates necessarily, but what are your thoughts on, on the real estate market in general? Um, you know, we clearly were in a, a seller's market. We curl Clearly, were you know accelerated prices and things going up in value super super fast, ridiculously fast. Um, 
and it seems to be leveling off. And in, in some areas, they're seeing a, a reduction in, in values. What are what are you thinking? And what are your like? Um, what are you planning for? What are you assuming will happen? And what are you kind of uh, set, uh, bracing your company for coming up? Yeah, I mean, so I mean, look, we we provide capital, right? And actually, in times like this, like when things are a little, you know, trickier, um, we do a lot better because you know that's what we do. So we get more demand. Yep. Um, I mean, as far as you know, what I think is going to happen in the real estate market in assets, basically, what you're asking is like, hey, what's going to happen to asset prices in mm-hmm. general, right? Yep. Um, let's just reverse two years ago to the COVID pandemic and when the entire economy shut down. <laughs> Asset prices didn't go down, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, they did it. Right. And no. if they didn't go down then, I don't think they're going to go down just because we raised interest rates back to not even the same level they were at before. Yeah. And we have an enormously large amount of liquidity in the system now. Um, yes, because people are going to say, oh, but Jake, you people piled on debt. Yes, there's more debt, but there's also a lot more liquidity. And, you know, we're starting from a much better place here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as like the residential market, I, you know, I, I think what really kind of happened there is it just got ahead of itself, right? I'm not saying that like, you know, it, it, it was just hyper competitive. And a lot of what's happening in the residential market was not, there's new things going on, right? Before this happened, there's, there's an entirely new uh, sector of demand from investors in residential housing that I think a lot of people weren't accounting for. 20% of all homes sold you know, now we're sold to investors and, and, and that's an, it's, it's an enormous amount yeah. of you know, yeah. additional demand. And I, I don't think it was that necessarily that the market was, you know, that we're going to, it's losing value and all this stuff. Right. But I, I think it just had so much demand from all these additional buyers that aren't really organic buyers of residential housing. Right. Yeah. It's, it's investors. And, you know, the the thing is, as investors buy houses, buy more and more houses, and they kind of prop up prices and they push homeowners out, you kind of get this weird feedback loop where anybody who gets pushed out of the you know home ownership category immediately becomes a renter. Yeah. So in effect, by buying all these houses, twenty percent of all houses on the market, you know they pushed up prices, which were pricing homeowners out. Now the rates have gone up. It's a combination of you know, home prices going up because of investors and supply and then, you know, unaffordability because of rates. Now, even more people are being pushed out. But what does that do? All that's going to do is circle people back right around to making rents go up higher. Yeah. And as rents continue to grow, you're just going to get more investor demand, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, people are going to come in and buy these houses. So, no, I mean, I, I don't I don't think necessarily like there's a, a huge, an enormous amount of you know, risk out there in commercial real estate, you know, over the long term, I think it's a lot of it's short term because, you know, people are pulling, pulling back on discretionary purchases, right? Yeah. So travel, yeah. retail, stuff like that. Yep. Um, but, you know, like it, the retail market, you know, I, I think it's going to be like a, like a kind of a little blip and, and then the investors will pile in, pile in because the liquidity is there. And as soon as they see that rent growth has continued, they're going to keep buying houses. Yeah. Now, my only caveat to the residential market is a lot of people who do the, Burr method that are leveraging up as high as they possibly can. Yeah, there's somebody that's going to get stung with that. Yeah. I mean, I I go on the Facebook groups and and you know and read all the comments and stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm more of a watcher than a contributor, but like it 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 it's like the real estate version of the GameStop people. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So like, yeah. like, like 
Uh, leverage is always the enemy of you know safety so there's somebody that's over their skis there yeah um, but, yeah yeah you know i mean it, it is what it is right it's gonna yeah. happen but you know as far as like you know what do i think there's gonna be some housing crash no i mean people are i mean as soon as this stuff started happening i started getting phone calls from you know vultures hey you got any loans you got any this you got any assets you, you know i mean and it's so telegraphed and people so expect it <laughs> I, I just don't think it's gonna happen yeah. unless something else crazy happens that nobody's seeing. Right, exactly. Some external force. So you mentioned commercial real estate. You you wrote a book called Commercial Real Estate Investing, Understanding, Finding, and Funding Deals in Today's World. Talk to me a little bit about that market and why... So, and there, it is, you know, a lot of people go from residential to commercial for various reasons, but what would be some reasons why people might want to look into the commercial world right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of the reasons why people end up going from residence to commercial is really just about scale, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and doing bigger deals. Because, I mean, you can do so many houses at a time, but then maybe you're attracting more investors. You know, I guess you could start buying mansions, but that's probably yeah. not the right <laughs> asset, right? No. You know, you, but you really, at a certain point, you know, like this, the guy that's buying a single family home ends up buying a duplex, then a quad, yeah. then all of a sudden after that, he's in commercial at five units, right? Yep. So it happens yep. very quickly. Um, not everybody does it. Like I, I've, I've got some clients that own 300 houses. That's all they want to do, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, you know, a lot of guys end up with that transition to commercial. And, you know, I, you know, I put this book out because I, I try to, I, I have over the past 15 years, helped a lot of guys kind of make that transition and understand that the two worlds are very different, right? The financing that's available is very different. The equity side is very different, you know, the, and and they're, they're really two different businesses. And, and, you know, like, I, you know, I I think the, you know, the book that we put out there is a great like bridge um, to kind of understanding the different capital sources that are available, you know, to commercial side versus residential, like, for every, you know, for every capital source that's developed for residential, which really there's just fix and flip lenders, banks, and then Fannie Freddie. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. there's like a hundred different types of lenders in commercial yeah. that are all different. Yeah. You know, so you know, it's really just so people can kind of understand that like it's a different world. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, you're right. I do know a lot of people that kind of scale up and do that. And you're 100% right. Going from single family, normal home to a mansion is not the right asset class. <laughs> it's, it's totally different. It's not necessarily advantageous. Um, awesome. Well, listen, man, I, I appreciate everything you've, you've done here. This has been just... I mean, packed with information. You clearly know what you're talking about. Uh, And I suggest that people do go grab the book, Commercial Real Estate Investing. I think it's important to understand how that world works. And if you are thinking that it's time or you want to scale up or you don't know, go get the information. Uh, I always say books are such an undervalued thing. Uh, People will go and pay a mentor $5,000 to tell them what they could probably find in a book like this for whatever it costs, $20, $30, whatever the book is. I don't know. But um, it's such an undervalued resource uh, to learn. So go grab the book. Go check it out. If people want to reach out to you or if they want more information or just want to get into your world and figure out how you guys could work together, is there a way they can do that or should do that? Uh, I'm all over LinkedIn website, call me directly. I'm exceptionally easy to find. Okay. Absolutely. Awesome. Very good. Uh, Well, listen, man, thanks again for your time. I appreciate this. It was a pleasure talking to you. You're awesome. And I wish you nothing but luck in the future. Thanks so much. Likewise. Appreciate it. Thanks. 
All right, that was a lot of fun. Jake's a smart guy. Uh, I'm not going to lie. He was over my head with some of the stuff he was saying, but I was getting the gist of it, and I obviously was trying to clarify. So, uh, But I don't know about you. I love being uh, in a room or on a call or in a conversation with somebody that I know their depth of knowledge is far beyond mine uh, about certain subjects. I think that's awesome, and we should all strive to surround ourselves with very, very, very smart people and learn from them and listen to them. And so I loved the conversation. I love knowing what's going on in the market and getting uh, the insight from industry experts like Jake. Uh, he's an awesome guy, very smart, clearly. So hopefully you guys got something out of that, got a little inspiration. I loved hearing that he doesn't see how interest rates will be going up any more than they already are. That's very, very cool. And he's not predicting a market crash or a significant drop in real estate values. So that's all good stuff, right? That's all good things that we want to hear. So um, take it for what that is worth, but he is an expert. And uh, that's what I try to do for you guys is bring on people that can sort of enrich your business and help guide you along the way. So hope you enjoy that. Uh, until next time, get out there and make it happen.